welcome to Do the Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Alexandra. And I'm Jarvis. Jarvis and I are uh, overprivileged uh, English kids uh, driving in a car our fathers uh, got us, um, but we are currently failing uh, all the classes in our private boarding school. Exactly, but that doesn't really matter much to us because we are overprivileged, rich, and we have a really quick car. So to supplement these grades that we are obviously failing, we issue you a challenge. Each week, you sit down and write a complete short story using three or four randomly generated words. Then we come on the podcast, we read a story, we talk about what we learned in reading it, and then we talk about stories sent in by you wonderful listeners. Mm-hmm. Vroom, vroom. We're simply here to help you do the right thing. A doof media, media production. production. Yeah, so the story this week uh, that we're reading uh, has some, some rich boys in it, which is why we're, uh, <laughs> that's, that was why the in- intro was that. Um, but I'm looking forward to talking about how like weird like old stories were, and I don't understand yeah. why they wrote them this way. Which is it's just so it's so strange. But. And it's also really odd how in a lot of old stories, um, they don't like. Okay, they do end, but they end in a place to where you you quickly realize, oh, that was just feeling and mood. There was no yeah. point. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like if we do dig deeper, I'm sure we'll, we could find something. But it's also, yeah, there's no, there's not really like a plot in this in this short story that we're about to read. And we did cut it down. We cut about actually like half the story. But that really just goes to show how <laughs> much extra. Yeah, um, like there, we didn't cut out. I, what did you cut out, Jarvis? You didn't cut out anything about like the end or anything, right? No, I just basically cut out uh, this very long paragraph where he was just talking about uh, driving and how it felt to drive this certain car and driving through different parts of town, which, yeah, that's all good stuff. And I understand that it adds, I guess, flavor to these moments. But at the same time, that entire, like, I'm telling you, like three, like two page long, para- two page long paragraph added nothing to, to the story whatsoever yeah it, it's strange but also the and you could criticize in a lot of um uh class angles as well and it really goes to show how this author is like fascinated with with wealth and like loves to celebrate it and like really views it as like a sign of being like a good person and a bunch of other stuff yeah so really i think you the only thing you can really blame for how lackluster this story is is just a bourgeois mentality so mm-hmm. uh yeah if Very you want to be a, bu- a a good writer uh, don't be uh, a bourgeois asshole so exactly and then also you know uh reading this really really got me thinking that uh, maybe because we are postmodern we are really concerned with making anything as clean and mm-hmm. and concise as possible so when we do look at older pieces that were more concerned with the actual craft of of the language and how and how the words worked in conjunction with the with the rest of the story I can really see why we're having such a disconnect mm-hmm. to those older pieces. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Like uh, th- this perspective of ours that like it, we have to use as few words as possible to have as much meaning as possible is a very modernist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, it, it has to have a point style. It has to keep yeah. going forward. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not like I'm sure they had good reasons to like publish the story and and reasons that people like to to read it back then. 
Um, I just, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's hard for us to reach them. What were the words this week before we actually roll in to read the story? Yeah, of course. Uh, so the words for this week were winner, duck, comment, and laser. And, and our wonderful audience wrote stories about competition. That's right. Um, and this story is, takes place after uh, a race. So uh, we mm-hmm. thought that it fit well enough. Uh, in fact, that's the name of it, right? Yeah, it's it's literally called After a Race, and it's by um, James Joyce. Um, yeah, so uh, James Joyce is, uh, he's famous for writing uh, one particular book, although I'm sure uh, real literature, n- n- people with a lot of knowledge of literature would probably be mad at me for not knowing other things, but he wrote uh, <laughs> Ulysses, um, which is like a modern re telling of the odyssey uh as ulysses is basically a, a different translation of the name odysseus but um yeah it, it's sort of well known for being like so full of symbolism and like every single word having a bunch of allusions to a bunch of different things and etc etc like there's at one point where like a guy goes down the stairs carrying a plate that has like scissors on it or something and like that's described uh, like w- where the scissors are and how they're held and a bunch of other stuff and each thing about the, these scissors matters uh, to a, a, an interpretation and there's a bunch of other stuff that people still don't know what he meant like you have to have basically a degree in 19th century Dublin and um, uh, Catholicism during the time and a bunch of other stuff which is just it's just very interesting but anyway a lot of words this guy um and uh <laughs> a lot of words yeah maybe maybe there's a reason that he's known for uh Ulysses and not this story after the race <laughs> definitely definitely well all right i think it's high time to just roll on into the story don't you think yeah absolutely this is after the race by james joyce the cars came scudding in toward dublin running evenly like pellets in the groove of the Nas Road. At the crest of the hill at Inchicore, sightseers had gathered in clumps to watch the cars careering homeward, and through this channel of poverty and inaction, the continent sped its wealth and industry. Now and again, the clumps of people raised the cheer of the gratefully oppressed. Their sympathy, however, was for the blue cars, the cars of, the cars of their friends, the French. The French, moreover, were virtual victors. Their team had finished solidly. They had placed second and third, and the driver of the winning German car was reported a Belgian. Each blue car, therefore, received a double measure of welcome as it topped the crest of the hill, and each cheer of welcome was acknowledged with smiles and nods by those in the car. And one of these trimly built cars was a party of four, young men who whose spirits seemed to be at present well above the level of successful gallicism. In fact, these four young men were almost hilarious. They were Charles Segoen, the owner of the car, André Riviere, a young electrician of Canadian birth, a huge Hungarian named Velona, and a neatly groomed young man named Doyle. Seguin was in good humor because he had unexpectedly received some orders in advance. He was about to start a motor establishment in Paris, and Riviere was in good humor because he was about to be appointed manager of that establishment. These two young men, who were cousins, were also in good humor because of the success of the French cars. Valona was in good humor because he had a very satisfactory luncheon, 
and besides, he was an optimist by nature. The fourth member of the party, however, was too excited to be properly happy. He was about 26 years of age, with a soft light brown mustache, and rather innocent-looking gray eyes. His father, who had begun life as an advanced nationalist, had modified his views early. He had made his money as a butcher in Kingstown, and by opening shops in Dublin, and in the suburbs, he had made his money many times over. He had also been fortunate enough to secure some of the police contracts, and in the end, he had become rich enough to be alluded to in the Dublin newspapers as a merchant prince. He had sent his son to England to be educated in the big Catholic college, and had afterwards sent him to Dublin University to study law. Jimmy did not study very earnestly, and took to bad courses for a while. He had money, and he was popular, and he divided his time curiously between musical and motoring circles. Then he had been sent for a term to Cambridge to see a little life. His father, remonstrative but covertly proud of the excess, had paid his bills and brought him home. It was at Cambridge that he had met Sigoin. They were not much more than acquaintances as yet, but Jimmy found great pleasure in the society of one who had seen much of the world and was reputed to own some of the biggest hotels in France. Such a person, as his father agreed, was well worth knowing. Even if he had not been the charming companion he was. Villona was entertaining also, a brilliant pianist, but unfortunately, very poor. The car ran on merrily with its cargo of hilarious youth, the two cousins sat on the front seat, Jimmy and his Hungarian friend sat, sat behind. Decidedly, Valona was in excellent spirits. He kept up a deep bass hum of melody for miles of the road. The Frenchmen flung their laughter and light words over their shoulders, and often Jimmy had to strain forward to catch the quick phrase. This was not altogether pleasant for him, as he had nearly always to make a deft guess at the meaning and shout back a suitable answer in the face of a high wind. Besides Valona's humming would confuse anybody, the noise of the car, too. Rapid motion through space elates one. So does notoriety. So does the possession of money. These were three good reasons for Jimmy's excitement. He had been seen by many of his friends that day in the company of these Continentals. At the control, Segoin had presented him to one of the French competitors, and, in answer to his confused murmur of compliment, the swarthy face of the driver had disclosed a line of shining white teeth. It was pleasant after that honor to return to the profane world of spectators amid nudges and significant looks. Then, as to money, he really had a great sum under his control. Segoin, perhaps, would not think of it as a great sum, but Jimmy who in spite of temporary errors was at heart the inheritor of solid instincts, knew well that with what difficulty it had been got together. This knowledge had previously kept his bills within the limits of reasonable recklessness, and if he had been so conscious of the labor latent in money when he, there had been question merely of some freak of the higher intelligence, how much more so now were he about to stake the greater part of his substance? It was a serious thing for him. Of course, the investment was a good one, and Segoin had managed to give the impression that it was by a favor of friendship the might of Irish money was to be included in the capital of the concern. Jimmy had a respect for his father's shrewdness in business matters, and in this case it had been his father who had first suggested the, the investment. 
money to be had in the motor business. Pots of money. Moreover, Segoan had the unmistakable air of wealth. Jimmy set out to translate into day's work that lordly car in which he sat. How smoothly it ran. In what style they had come careering along the country roads. The journey laid a magical finger on the genuine pulse of life and gallantry. The machinery of human nerves strove to answer the bounding courses of the swift blue animal. In Jimmy's house, this dinner had been pronounced an occasion. A certain pride mingled with his parents' trepidation, a certain eagerness also to place fast and loose for the names of great foreign cities have at least this virtue. Jimmy, too, looked very well when he was dressed, and, as he stood in the hall giving a last equation to the bows of his dress tie, his father may have felt even commercially satisfied at having secured for his son qualities often unpurchasable. His father, therefore, was unusually friendly with Villona, and his manner expressed a real respect for foreign accomplishments. But this subtlety of his host was probably lost upon the Hungarian, who was beginning to have a sharp desire for his dinner. The dinner was excellent, exquisite. Zaguin, Jimmy, decided, had a very refined taste. The party was increased by a young Englishman named Ruth, whom Jimmy had seen with Segoin at Cambridge. The young men supped in a snug room lit by electric candle lamps. They talked volubly and with little reserve. Jimmy, whose imagination was kindling, conceived the lively youth of the Frenchman twined elegantly upon the firm framework of the Englishman's manner. A graceful image of his, he thought, and a just one. He admired the dexterity with which their host directed the conversation. The five young men had various tastes and their tongues had been loosened. The room grew doubly hot, and Segoan's task grew harder each moment. There was even danger of personal spite. The alert host at an opportunity lifted his glass to humanity, and, when the toast had been drunk, he threw open a window significantly. That night, the city wore the mask of a capital. The five young men strolled along Stephen's Green in a faint cloud of aromatic smoke. They talked loudly and gaily, and their cloaks dangled from their shoulders. The people made way for them. At the corner of Grafton Street, a short fat man was putting two handsome ladies on a car in charge of another fat man. The car drove off, and he caught sight of the party. Andre! It's Farley! A torrent of talk followed. Farley was an American. No one knew very well what that talk was about. Villona and Riviere were the noisiest, but all the men were excited. They got up on a car, squeezing themselves together amid much laughter. They drove by the crowd, blended now into soft colors, to a music of merry bells. They took the train at Westland Row, and in a few seconds, as it seemed to Jimmy, they were walking out of Kingstown Station. The ticket collector saluted Jimmy. He was an old man. Fine night, sir. It was a serene summer night. The harbor lay like a darkened mirror at their feet. They proceeded towards it with linked arms, singing Cadet Roussel in chorus, stamping their feet at every ho, 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 hey, vraiment. They got into a rowboat at the slip and made out for the American's yacht. There was to be supper, music, cards, Valona said with conviction. It is delightful. 
There was a yacht piano in the cabin. Valona played a waltz for Farley and Riviere. Farley acted as cavalier and Riviere as lady. Then an impromptu square dance, the men devising original figures. What merriment. Jimmy took his part with a will. This was seeing life, at least. Then Farley got out of breath and cried, Stop! A man brought in a light supper, and the young man sat down to it for form's sake. They drank. However, it was bohemian. They drank Ireland, England, France, Hungary, the United States of America. Jimmy made a speech. A long speech. Villona saying, Hear, hear, whenever there was a pause. There was a great clapping of hands when he sat down. It must have been a good speech. Farley clapped him on the back and laughed loudly. What jovial fellows. What good company they were. Cards, cards. The table was cleared. Villona returned quietly to his piano and played volunteers for them. The other men played game after game, flinging themselves boldly into the adventure. They drank to the health of the Queen of Hearts and of the Queen of Diamonds. Jimmy felt obscurely the lack of an audience. The wit was flashing. Play ran very high and paper began to pass. Jimmy did not know exactly who was winning, but he knew that he was losing. But it was his own fault, for he frequently mistook his cards and the other men had to calculate his IOUs for them. For him. They were devils of fellows, but he wished they would stop. It was getting late. Someone gave the toast of the yacht, the bell of Newport, and then someone proposed one great game for a finish. The piano had stopped. Villona must have gone up on deck. It was a terrible game. They stopped just before it to drink for luck. Jimmy understood that the game lay between Ruth and Segoan. What excitement. Jimmy was excited too. He would lose, of course. How much had he written away? The men rose to their feet to play the last tricks, talking and gesticulating. Ruth won. The cabin shook with the young men's cheering and the cards were bundled together. They, they began then to gather in what they had won. Farley and Jimmy were the heaviest losers. He knew that he would regret it in the morning, but at present he was glad of the rest. Glad of the dark stupor that would cover up his folly. He leaned his elbows on the table and rested his head between his hands, counting the beats of his temples. The cabin door opened, and he saw the Hungarian standing in a shaft of grey light. Daybreak, gentlemen! Well, all right. Yeah, that was a really great, fantastic story by James Joyce. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I like about this story is James James Joyce's writing style. Mm-hmm. Um, just like his how he how he composites these sentences really gives us so much like mood and tone, and it really like makes this story overall have its own sort of character, right? Uh, and like, even though it does take place after this race, you can feel um, how a lot of these characters are re- are reacting to. Uh, I think France won the race, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, I mean, like overall, I think it's like really solid. I do wish, of of course, that um, after the first bit when when they are talking about the the race that. It didn't just turn in like it. It didn't just change into uh, into covering this this party and how this main character is uncomfortable, but also 
is enjoying it. I don't know. Like like towards the end, I I really did feel my myself getting con- confused within the purpose of it. But I mean, overall, it is still a really good read. Yeah, I, and though I do struggle to quite like, I I I, I do want to try to identify like what was the reason for writing this um Mm -hmm. whether it was just to to declare this sort of air of success um and sort of like i don't say freedom but like a sort of sense like nothing really matters that much but we're wealthy so we're happy kind of thing yeah um you know you have this this guy that's all i think it's jimmy that's all excited right um in that like it's almost like a problem from how he's excited. <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. not happy. He's so excited. Um, but yeah, so it's it's very strange. But yeah, definitely. I mean, I like the biggest thing that I could possibly say. Uh, you know, going <clears throat> excuse me, going off of the idea on how even though they are successful, they aren't happy. Is that towards the end, uh, the the main character starts to look out of, of the window and kind of see how, I guess, the other half lives. And within that moment, I could sense a, a bit of longing, but I feel that it really wasn't fully um, explored because literally shortly after that, uh, the story ended. So yeah, I mean, overall, yeah, I think it's, it's written really well. I think that... This story's purpose is to capture this this moment. And I don't really know if its purpose really goes beyond that, really. Um, like, it does really give us all of the bits so that we can fully um, construct these people and, and this scene within our head. But at the same time, after it does that, the story ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also find it interesting how it's like... So much emphasis is like you know placed on these these four boys and like the various ways that they like are rich. Um, <laughs> it just yeah, I just found it strange how much of it was like yeah. So uh, this guy's his his dad uh, you know bought one shop and then got a bunch of other shops and now he's really rich and he's like really he's proud of his son for like demanding uh, like things for for his wealth just because he's he's rich and like is proud of uh having gotten so rich and they're in this super fancy car and this being in a car like this is so awesome and um <laughs> and just on and yeah. on it's just so i mean interesting it, it almost feels like gratuitous in a way just yeah. like ah oh, just so much wealth and money and this is all that you need like i mean if if this was set in like 2020, these four guy would all be TikTokers in their like fucking TikTok house, having all of their fancy Lambos and, and still having like a great time. Yeah, it's basically you know? just like a bunch of really, really, really rich college kids just like having mm-hmm. some nights. Like exactly, but it feels that these it feels that all of the characters besides the the main one lacks depth lacks depth but on purpose if that makes sure. sense like their wealth is all there really is and they're fine with just being wealthy in a sense mm-hmm. um yeah but still i don't know if that's the point of the story <laughs> yeah um so <laughs> I think that's all we really uh, particularly need to say about the story, but it is interesting how, like, 
you know, maybe the the sentiments of the time filtered in to uh, James Joyce's like perspective, right? As as he wrote this, mm-hmm. right? The various ways that we consider the world the, the way that like especially during the time although we definitely still have this mentality now but apparently especially during the time that uh everyone everyone deserves the wealth that they have right um that these mm-hmm. kids are totally 100 percent deserving of of the you know extraordinary wealth that their their, their fathers have and a bunch of other stuff and what what kind of like you know you can use that kind of reflection on yourself because like this story here was not unusually um wasn't unusual really at the time mm-hmm. um so what yeah. things in in your own stories uh we, you know 100 years in the future people will be go- looking back and be like wow everyone at this time really loved this sort of stuff constantly right um yeah. is that like uh, fame or fortune or, or you know just some other it, it's really hard to just identify in the moment you kind of have to be looking at some sort of text and be like what shows up here a lot and why do we um accepted as sort of a given that this is going to show up in a story and i think that's like an important uh thing to, to question and then maybe you can uh, break that ground and be in an, an unusual story mm-hmm. yeah definitely definitely um but all right i think that's all we can really say about uh, james joyce's masterpiece really really solid solid story written written well so we're happy to read it yeah um before we move on uh into the listener submitted story section though i i did want to so obviously (laughs) you can probably tell we're not the the biggest fan of this particular story um but we (laughs) do have a lot of trouble finding like really like good stories for to to read on do the the right thing that are you know somewhat fit the topic that are in the public domain that are between one and and 3,000 words, you know, to be read in, in like a reasonable amount of time on a podcast. Mm-hmm. So, um, I did want to ask y'all as, cause we were, we were thinking about it. Um, how y'all would feel if, uh, we changed to be reading like a listener story every single week. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what sort of opinions you guys would have on that? In my, I, I think it would be something like, you know, you put in the at the top of your story to, that you want to opt in or something like that. Uh, Jarvis, you sh- suggested um, that people just um, like email us if uh, their 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 story if they want to be included in the yeah, as as the story read out loud on the podcast. Obviously, we'd have to set up some sort of system to make sure it's like fair and that y'all don't feel you know uh, as if we like keep picking the same people or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. but there's like a difference between it being like random and us just like choosing and there's pros and cons, but for, for either one of those. So yeah, I was wondering what y'all's, uh, feedback for that would be. I'm going to post this, uh, the link to this episode on the thread. So, or on the subreddit is what I meant to say. And then in that thread, uh, in the comments of, of that video, please do, or video, uh, link to this episode, uh, do, you know, leave your opinions on this, um, would it you know help y'all right if you, if you knew that you had a chance to um be read out loud on the podcast or would that be more difficult of course i think mm-hmm. either way we would have like an opt-out for sure but yeah oh yeah definitely definitely but yeah i mean uh definitely send that to us let us let us know what you think and also if there are any other changes that you would like to to see on um on do the right thing do not be afraid to tell us we want this podcast to evolve as we do as people yeah for sure um but okay Mm -hmm. let's just uh let's get into the listener submitted stories 
Of course. So, listener submitted story section. The best section of Do the Right Thing. Thank you so much to everyone who did submit your story. It does our our heart good to see plentiful stories in the comment section. So, we will be reading stories by Ace of Sword, Sarah Penguin, Captain Rhino, Jarby Jazz, Cub, Mato Soup, and Nippo Tip. Uh, that's right. And we're also going to be... Um reading one of uh ace of swords story from last week because we, we missed it right right as we were recording that's when uh, that story came in which is just too bad but um yeah so we'll, we'll mention that story as well exactly so the first story we will be talking about this week is by ace of sword with dangerous so uh this is a sequel to uh, a prior story which we very much liked um that story by also by well obviously it's also by ace of sword <laughs> I don't know why I was going to say that's a, like a fun fact. I guess I'm more tired than I thought. Also by Stephen King. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and that one, basically a woman with a, um, that was the one where a woman like uh, had a sword and, but it was like a dance with the sword. And then um, she had like a pocket knife and, and dance with the pocket knife, which is like a different kind of dance, a diff- different dancing partner and you know she has some sort of supernatural ability that's that's really impressive so in this one uh this man who uh wants the 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 dancer woman sword dancer woman uh dead um has hired a bunch of mysterious uh killers to to get her and they're all gathered in a room getting ready to like accept the job and being debriefed and stuff we focus on one guy with like a, a scar on his face i think um and um who, who was one of the previous ones to have fought her, I think, during that, that fight. He's, like, warning, like, she's, you know, something different, and some of them sort of believe, and some of them don't. Um, and during the conversation, it's, it's broken up with this one guy who throws uh, a tarot deck at all, uh, or throws cards at all of uh, the members in the room, and there's a sort of a little bit of, like, analysis of what the the cards that they got each mean clearly some sort of magic being involved uh like it, he throws it so hard that like it embeds in wood and into like a woman's arm so <laughs> pretty hard thrown <laughs> um and some of them believe it and some of them don't uh but finally the man with the scar i think is the one that that leaves um he points out that the way that the job's offered it's a winner take all system so whoever is the one that that brings back or that that kills the the one with the, with the power is the one that gets all the money. So there's sort of an incentive for the killers to kill each other uh, because then they get, they ensure that they're the ones that, that win and get all the money. Um, so he leaves. So he's not involved. Uh, but we can tell that um, most of the other people in here are going to continue with this job. And none of them really address that concern. So definitely <laughs> probably still a risk that they're all going to just try to kill each other. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I really like this story. Uh, when when you take into consideration the first uh, entry, I think this is a really good uh, use of of source showing the other side and like really building up this uh, tension for when both of these sides do do meet. Uh, and I really do like the time that is you know taken to set up this this room and and these very strange characters. And uh, really showing um, how, like, I guess, dangerous this this power that the girl in the first one really did have. So overall, I just I just really like it. I think that this is just further leading us down this this uh, line, and I am I'm looking forward to uh, seeing when these two forces clash. So overall, really great job. Yeah. Um, 
before we move on to another person's story, do you want to uh, go over Ace of Swords story from last week? Sure. All right. So the next story for this week, uh, which is one that was featured last week, is by Ace of Sword with reservations. Yeah, so we'll just cover this one um, quickly. But uh, yeah, so, so we want to get back to because uh, you, you came in so close um, uh, last week. Um, but so this story uh, opens up talking about um, a character named Nadia uh, talking to another named Aiden. And uh, Nadia has just released some enormous amount of um, emotional energy. Um, it's presumed over the course of the story that it was some way like released physically. Um, but mm-hmm. that now that all of that emotion is sort of out of her body now. Uh, she feels so much emptier, but it's sort of in a good way. It's a, it's a relief, right? Um, and they make a metaphor about it being like a, like passing a kidney stone, right? You, you get so used to that immense pain that when it finally goes, goes away, it feels really good. She, they, they sort of, you know, talk about how do people normally deal with this sort of thing? Do they just like live with it? Um, do they eventually just get over it? Do they, what, what does it mean to like let something go? Um, and, uh, that they find most of the other advice of just like living with it until it goes away, basically, um, is, uh, that it, it's like telling a depressed person just to be happy or just deal with it, you know, and, and that's not very mm-hmm. constructive. Um, although we don't really know exactly how, uh, Nadia, you know, processed this, uh, it, presumably when she leaves, there's some gore on the floor of this motel room and they're going to have to burn it down basically. So it can't have been too good. Um, But uh, that's something that we kind of have to uh, just imagine, I suppose. And and we're just really examining the fact that uh, she does feel better after releasing herself of what is presumably hate. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I think the strongest part about this, this story is the dialogue. Um, you really get a strong sense of um, Aiden and this some um, other character, and the and the back and forth really lets you understand this um, situation really well. I love the usage of metaphor w- within this uh, within this dialogue to sort of uh, get us closer to the deeper meaning of this situation. And really, I think I think overall it uh, really is saying a a lot about what a mass um re-release of this emotion can can really do for you you know and that there are positives and there are and there are of course negatives so i mean overall i just think this is a really strongly written story uh and i and i'm kind of looking forward to seeing if um ace of sword decides to make a second version of this story and, and and sort of further this um story so overall great job yeah uh, what is the next story on the docket? Mm-hmm. So the next story is by Sarah Penguin with Winner Takes All. Um, two um, women who one is a princess and another one is a countess. And we're in the countess's perspective, I think, are facing mm-hmm. each other, swords in hands, um, wearing dresses, but barefoot on grass. And we very quickly understand that they're about to duel each other and not necessarily even in a way that uh, is extremely careful. Like they're not wearing any armor or anything. And these are real swords that could actually cut each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they do a little ban- banter of each other and then they, they get into the fight, uh, crossing swords um, with the princess trying to make the, the countess yield. Uh, the princess uh cuts the countess in the arm uh scoring one victory and then they go again 
um, and the Countess tries to uh, overtake uh, things, and, and she sees that she's, like, losing and, and goes a little bit desperate, and so just, like, tackles the princess and, and uh, loses the swords and tries to pin her down, but still loses, probably in part because she was cut, but probably also because she might have wanted to lose, and um, the the princess claims, claims her second victory, you know, two out of three, and um, they talk about what the... Uh, prize of the fight would have been um, and the princess chooses uh, the countess and it's uh, you know a pretty like intense you know like a very intense flirting between these uh, two noble women um, <laughs> but uh, we can tell that the countess is probably not too upset about losing um, but uh, she basically like eggs the princess on to, to, to basically up the, the ante even more um just because that's yeah they enjoy flirting in this way yeah definitely so i really do enjoy this this story um i think the action is is handled really well and i do like this sort of uh as you said kind of flirty but uh lighter air about the the story for um most of it even though when when uh the i think countess got cut i was like oh this this could be actually quite uh serious um but yeah i mean the dialogue within this does a fantastic job at really setting up both of these characters in how they are similar but also obviously different um and yeah i mean overall this is a really well well um written story that i think um is very clean and uh and concise there is nothing within this this story that seems overbearing or really does take me away from this moment we stay in this this duel for the whole story and uh, that just adds to the sort of lighter tone at the uh, very end, which I really did like. So great job. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to give advice, it's basically, um, so this is, you know, mostly about flirtations. It's a little bit uh, like horny, right? There's a bit of those undertones. <laughs> um, but I would say for most like, uh, you know, flirtatious romances, unless if they're already, you know, kind of doing unless that they're already like dating and, and very much like know and act out their attraction for each other. Um, I think there probably would be more, I, I think the story would benefit from like hiding it a, a little bit more or, or putting it behind and making it more subtle, right. And more like implications and outright stating things, right. Stating how, what they're going to mm -hmm. do each other, claiming each other as, as a prize. Right. Um, you know, leaving that as like a maybe or, uh, implying that or leaving that as like the one big sort of reveal um, that sort of thing I think would sort of up a lot of the feelings uh, we have especially in like mirroring the, the feelings of the, of the characters um, and the other mm -hmm. thing of just like what was the setup for, for this duel um, but th that's not so important that's just like information but um, yeah I, I think the story especially if you hide uh, some of their flirtations behind that subtlety and implication and, and things like that, mm -hmm. I think would really up the, the, the feelings that the story brings out. But that said, I, I definitely uh, did really enjoy it. Definitely, definitely. Well, all right. Up next is by Captain Rhino with The Bitter Taste of Defeat. Yeah, so this story uh, is really uh, good and, um, like, really put together. And so you start off with a, a bunch of people uh, together sitting at a table and someone walks in uh, wearing a ton of medals. His, his name is Gavin and he's so like obnoxious about like constantly being the winner in these competitions <laughs> and being the best at it. And everyone else is sort of talking about what they're going to do with, you know, now that there's a second place prize and they can actually like 
And and Gavin's like, oh yeah, now that y'all have something to actually try to win, right? What are y'all going to do with it? And they ask him the same thing, implying that, yeah, this time you're going to lose, Gavin. <laughs> Sal is like the one that's like, okay, I'm going to be the one to win. It's going to be me. I'm going to actually win and Gavin's going to get the second place prize. So $1,000. And then finally we, we get a reveal of what the contest is. It's a, it's a hot dog eating contest, which is just a fun little twist. The, the thing that... Um, Sal wanted to win was uh, or wanted to use the money for was to get a, a trip to Tahiti with all of uh, their family and so finally we, we skipped after the contest the, they have won Gavin's getting second place and um, the kids are going to get uh, Tahiti uh, and they, they, they finally won and so they're kind of like basking in the glory of that victory as Gavin answers a question what he's going to do with the second place money a thousand dollars and Gavin gets his revenge and says i'm gonna donate all one thousand dollars to charity really making uh the winner seem like an absolute asshole by not donating his tons of wealth now um instead going to tahiti instead of donating it uh, but gavin didn't even need the the prize money and so he he finally got his his revenge and he's just like a petty asshole and like donating <laughs> his money for to charity is not actually for any real good reason although it does act, do actual good but yeah, just to ruin it for him, for the winner. Yeah, honestly, honestly, though, as soon as Gavin pulled, pulled that move, that is a straight G move. <laughs> I mean, it's the it's the antithesis of um, sportsmanship, but based off of this character that is being set up, it completely fits. Uh, and I love it. I, I, like, really do. Even though he did lose, he, he made it to where he's still the good guy. So, I mean, overall, this, this story does a fantastic job of uh, setting up intention for these characters i mean we we know why sal wants wants to win why he needs this this money and we do sympathize with them and, and i mean as as soon as gavin does does show up we are pulling for sal even more because we don't want the asshole with with all of the medals to to win see that happen was was a really great feeling that was stripped from us based off of what gavin did so i mean overall this this story is really solid really tight uh and it knows exactly where it wants to take us this this is very intentional i just really love it for that it's a very solid story that's written fan fantastically so great job captain reina yeah absolutely well, all right. Up next is by Jarby Jazz with Untitled Duck Race. Uh, so this is a, a fun, uh, humorous <laughs> story. We have uh, this person, and, and it's told in this uh, first person. Um, that's just uh, basically dialogue and, and thoughts that are very like as if it's talking to the audience. Um, is about to go do a race uh, when they see a duck at at the starting line with like a. a a bib with its number and everything so really like as if it's a runner and starts talking to someone else about it uh but the the person the other racer uh basically treats the the narrator as if they're racist for thinking that a duck shouldn't be at a <laughs> at a at a race and th- for thinking this is unusual at all and uh, acknowledging it it, it just the, the the entire story is just about the humor of that sort of mix up of, of seeing something ridiculous and then uh, feeling like an asshole for pointing out what is ridiculous to them. Um, it, but it, it finishes with uh, talking about how, yes, they're, they're very distracted by this, but they're going to do their best and, and call their mom and talk about how crazy this because their mom will understand. Um, 
Although we, I don't know. I, I, I think I could predict that like the duck's going to win the race. I'm pretty sure at the race, this person's <laughs> going to lose because of the duck for sure. And, uh, that maybe their mom will add to the humor and not understand at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this story is hilarious. It is such a strange situation, but I really do love how sort of straight the, um, the main character is, is playing this and the, back and forth dialogue between this main character and this other guy is just really well written it is uh, comedy gold i uh, love how the how the other guy is just so serious about yeah it's a duck that wants to erase i mean ducks are people too and yeah i just i just really love how much he is he is really playing in in to this but also seeing how much it is grinding on the main character so i mean overall this is a really solid story it's uh it is quick but uh it will definitely have you laughing throughout all of it so great job jarby jazz yep absolutely Um, i i I very much enjoyed just the the fun warped reflection of of stuff that happens in real life yeah (laughs) well all right up next is by komato soup with zwip um, so that onomatopoeia is also, I think, the the first line of the story, uh, which this is a, a very mm, ridiculous is. story, and I, I enjoyed it a lot <laughs> of just how off the walls it is. So there's these lasers shooting around everywhere, uh, all these contestants, um, I think in a in a big circle, or at least all all together in some area, as these lasers are falling around, and you ha- they have to like listen to what sound the lasers are uh, to decide if they have to dodge or stay still. Um, and then whenever someone else gets hit by a laser, they have an opportunity to make a quip, which are then <laughs> uh, given points by these judges that all have different personalities. So we start off with uh, someone getting shot with a laser in the eyes and being blinded. And the main character, Baro, going, looks like the laser caught her eyes, as in like caught her eyes. And then there's a fun interaction with that with the judges. But then uh, Sarah, another con- uh, contestant, uh, starts picking up the, the pickup lines too and, and delivering ones that our, the Baro does not like, but does still get points. Uh, someone gets cut in half and she says, thanks for the halftime show. And they continue mm-hmm. on and on. And we expand a little bit on what this, this ridiculous game show is with like probably aliens and just eldritch monstrosities that are also really into like game shows are. And the, the narrow of this battle royale, because of course it's a battle royale, uh, narrows further and further. They get into uh, Sarah and, and Baro are right next to each other. Um, and uh, to throw off her game, Sarah like touches uh, Baro on a leg. Baro, in her anger at Sarah, looks down and sees that um, Sarah has done like the okay sign. And everyone knows that if, if someone <laughs> makes you look at the okay sign below the belt... Uh, they got you. Um, and <laughs> so Baro's infuriated, but the contest luckily ends. I think the implication that Baro would have died if she didn't, uh, if it didn't end in a tie. But we all know who the real winner was right at the end there. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, it's just ridiculous. It, I'm pretty sure all those other people died in horrific ways. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just really dug this, this story. I mean, it feels like a mixture of of the running man it feels like a mixture of any battle roy royale but it also has a very fun 
personality to it. Like I love how um, one of the judges didn't get the the joke at first. So like so like they didn't give uh, one of them points until later when they did finally get it. And I do love how even though there are these horrific things happening, they are still making these these quips that just adds to like the feeling of this like blood sport. So I mean overall I, th- I just think that the concept for this is so strong and that these characters only add to that concept and also really like bring us in and, and want to know more about how this game works like what's the like end goal. So yeah, I mean this this story just really grabs you and makes you want to know more. Yeah, it made me laugh. Well, all right. Our final story for this week is by Nipotin with Interlude 2. So this is another one of Nipotin's uh, short uh, vignettes that are also poetic. Um, this one um, sort of sets up like, a, I, th- I think, a, a mystery. Gene, Genie Monks, uh, Genie being his, his nickname, uh, cop- talks to Chuck the Duck. <laughs> Uh, Whitman, I think inside a, a, a club or outside a club, and they, and they talk to each, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, talk to each other about how there was a, a hell of a show, and uh, I, I think there's sort of an implication that Chuck the Duck Whitman is is jealous of uh, Gene Genie Monks, which it's just really fun to to repeat their names. But uh, they they shake hands. Then there's a sort of uh, implication um, that uh, Genie was was murdered or at least was dead very very soon after this conversation sort of an implication that maybe out of jealousy uh chuck the duck whitman uh killed genie and um we want to yeah it sets up this this little mystery in this little vignette um and of course it, it just feels very poetic and it's a italics of course so uh, that does add to the ambiance in some ways but yeah i, I liked it it's intriguing definitely ducky definitely killed him <laughs> uh i am saying it right now uh, but yeah, I mean, I just really like how in such a short space, uh, you are able to give us so much. You are you are able to sort of establish this seemingly rivalry. You know, you are uh, you are able to sort of give us a reason as to why Ducky might might do it, even though there are a thousand reasons why uh, Gene could have died that didn't have to do anything with Ducky. So, I mean, overall, with, within this really short piece, we are able to get a fantastic scene, really solid characters, and the beginning of a mystery. So, this story is doing a, a lot, and I really love it for that. So, great job. Yeah. Well, thank you to everyone who wrote this week. Uh, y'all stories does the heart good. So, we would like to give a big old do the right thing thank you to everyone who did submit a story. So, thank you very much to Ace of Sword. Thank you to Sarah Penguin. Thank you, Captain Rhino. Thank you, Jarby Jaws. Thank you, Komato Soup. And thank you, Nippetan. All right, and we would like to give a big old do the right thing thank you to everyone who, who left two or more comments. Leaving comments not only helps you uh, put all of your own thoughts on your own story down there so other people can see it, but you are providing someone else with great feedback that can only help them and you become a better writer. So, thank you, thank you very much to Ace of Sword, Jarby Jazz, Captain Rhino, co-mato soup and nipotin thank you so much for leaving comments yeah um it's always nice to see some some interaction going on in the comments and uh people reflecting on their own stories and uh reacting to others it's yeah it's really really nice so we appreciate every single time we see one 
If you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and submit your story to Do The Right Thing, you can do that by going to slash r slash do the right thing on Reddit. All you have to do is sit down for 30 minutes and write a complete short story using three of four words from that week. If you want to see the words as soon as they come out, the best way to do that would be to go to Twitter um, at RightThingCast, uh, where is where we send all the notifications. It's also where you would have uh, found out that this episode's a day late, so uh, that's the place best place to go. And go ahead and uh, hit that bell. Get the notifications. We don't tweet that much. It's not going to be annoying. It's just once a week to tell you, do the right thing and get, get your, your prompt in, you know, and everything. So I think it's a good idea. Of course, you can also <laughs> join us on the the Discord um, or send us an email um, at our email address, uh, rightthingcast at gmail.com. Uh, but our Discord is now open to everyone, so that's doofmedia.com slash Discord to get an invite. Go ahead and invite your friends and tell them to start doing the right thing. And then maybe you can egg each other on and stuff. So... Um, a lot of a lot of options to get to talk to us and interact with us and, and, and things like that. And if you want to support us and everything else happening in Doof Media, you can do that by donating to the Doof Media Patreon. Donating $10 or more per month can give you access to exclusive bonus content, including the most recent Doof Over. Uh, that's right. Um, we also, of course, have our uh, Doof and Chills uh, going on every month, and um, we have a ton of, of ways to participate in the community. Uh, obviously, if you're already writing for Do the Right Thing, you're already particip- participating a bit, but maybe you haven't considered voting in the uh, March Madness contest. Uh, or contest? Is that the right word for that? March Madness Poll? tournament? Uh, of where we're choosing the, the best movie that the Doofcast has covered over the course of the year. I'm not sure if that's entirely over, but if it is... If it isn't, it's probably very, very close. Um, speaking of, uh, the Doofcast uh, just selected the uh, new Deconstructing Director series. Um, so I'm excited to... Um, I, I can't remember if that's been announced yet or if they... I think they revealed it in the most recent Doofcast episode. So if you haven't already listened to that, go ahead and listen to it. I mean, it's about uh, Godzilla versus Kong. So if you're not afraid for spoilers for a, a movie where giant monsters punch each other... Um, oh, sorry, that might have been spoilers. Maybe they don't punch each other. What? Maybe they just kick each what? other. Who knows? Anyway. <laughs> they definitely punch each other. Well, I don't know. Maybe they just bite each other. That a spoiler? You don't know. Who knows? Yeah, oh, yeah. You know what? Truthfully, maybe they, like, see each each other, and then they're like, damn, you want to go to the movie? Yeah, something? exactly. I mean, I would watch that. Maybe they just shoot fire breath at each other. Or maybe Kong develops a new superpower and he gets like iron man laser hands you don't know oh so yeah, well, i mean uh, if if you've seen the classic movies you know that king kong has lightning powers that's true he does which is very strange but he does <laughs> maybe it's a it's like a power of american engineering who knows but yeah yeah or maybe you know he has fur so yeah that what <laughs> <laughs> he has fur so he he creates a lot of static cleaning, oh, okay. and he can channel that static cleaning. Do you think static shock could be King Kong? Oh, yes, because static shock rides on a trash can lid. You're right. Does he get a new one, or is it always the same one? He, okay, or, so he does, because cause at first it was a trash can lid, and then I think he switched to a manhole, and then within the TV show, his friend built him, like, his own like thing to like fly on but i'm not really sure about the uh, i feel like a manhole cover would be very dangerous to fly around using just electricity to fly it around you know like if you lose control of that powerful you just destroy someone's head you know like yeah destroy the bad guy's head (laughs) and robbing the bank okay 
Um, the uh, challenge that we want to do... Um, Oh, one other thing I did want to plug, actually, um, is that, so obviously I mentioned last week, uh, the game club for this month is uh, Disco Elysium. I'm probably going to show up on that episode. I'm very excited to talk about it. It's, it's I'm, I'm nearly done with my, my first playthrough, um, but it's really, really great. And if you want to uh, see people play it, even if you don't know what it is, I think it's a really good idea just to watch a playthrough just because it's, it's really, really fun um, or play it yourself. Um, we're talking about it on the Game Club channel on the Discord, and of course, um, we are going to be streaming it. I am probably not, I don't really have a good streaming computer. I stream every now and then sometimes, but um, Ruben and Elliot are streaming uh, most of their gameplay, I think, on Twitch, so you can watch that. I, I know Ruben's first uh, like hour and a half of gameplay is already up there, um, uh, recorded like last last night and we usually have like a, a schedule on the calendar for twitch streaming so uh you can tune in at, at oh whenever is uh whenever it comes on so um and i i think it's definitely worth watching it the first couple the first hour of the game especially it's really really fun to see what people's reactions are and i was very much enjoying rubens so the um oh cool uh, to, to get into the prompt for next week the, the challenge that i chose was a time period right uh, setting is constructed of both uh, place and time, right? So let's focus on the time, right? So try to write in a uh, another time period. I think focus on the past as in because future is already wrapped up in a lot of other stuff related to sci-fi and, and, mo mm -hmm. and visions of the future. Whereas a time period, I, I mean, obviously future is a time period, but a time period that has already existed provides you a chance to research and try to fit your story within that sort of uh, context. So, um, yeah, to, to write a story that emphasizes uh, that research and looking into and exploration of a time period in the past. Definitely, definitely. And the words that are, that are going to foster these fantastic stories are fold, exempt, writer, and formal. Uh, that's right. So fold as into... Uh, oh gosh, how do you just, how do you define that word? Uh, it is to compress something uh -huh. to be smaller than it is originally in one dimension. In one dimension, even yes. though you can fold twice. Well, yeah, well, but, I but that would be no, folding it, one, and one then dimension. yeah, that would be folding the other dimension. But each fold is yeah. only one dimension. I think. Can you fold something in two dimensions at the same time? Oh, I think that would create a wormhole that might not be possible. Okay, let me think. So you'd have to be holding... A, we have to start with a three-dimensional object because it's a two-dimensional yes. object. Well, already you, with a two-dimensional object, you, well, can you... Does it count? Well, no, 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 yeah. You you can fold a three-dimensional object, but at the fold line, it would become two-dimensional. Hmm. If you can fold a three-dimensional object, uh, please let us know in the comments of this podcast episode. Let us know. Um, I'm, I'm going back and forth of whether folding a piece of paper uh, in half counts as two dimensions or one. Um, considering, Wait, like, why does that not count as three? Well, because you're not you're not uh, the the third dimension is the, the height of the paper. You're not. Uh, you're not well, yeah but paper does have height yeah but you're not folding the height are you folding the height you are stacking the height no because by folding a piece of paper it would double the height yeah that's what i yeah that's what i meant just now i don't know let us know uh what is folding 
Uh, anyway, that's <laughs> a word you can use. You fold clothes, etc. Uh, exempt is when something is um, does not have to adhere to a rule. It's it's special. It it doesn't have to follow it. Like how the president is exempt from most laws. I that's not true. That's oh. that's just straight up not true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a rider is someone who rides. Um, so someone who like rides a horse uh, is, I think, is the usual thing. But also there can be like a rider on a bill. Uh, so anything that like holds onto another as it is like carried by it, basically. Um, you, if you have a like a, if a bug was a rider on you, it would basically like be holding onto you as you walked around. Um, yeah, there's a lot of the options with that and then formal which is the opposite of informal the opposite of casual so it is the most um socially constructed uh and socially special kind of thing uh, as opposed to your normal everyday life nice nice uh so the story i'm going to write next week well okay here let me just give you a really brief uh tagline uh-huh <clears throat> when space folds Nothing is exempt from its influence. This far-off ship of clones ride off to the nothingness on a formal mission to save their planet, which has now disappeared from the astral realm. Mm-hmm. It, was that the tagline, or...? I mean, yeah, that's just... That's just a... Yeah. Oh, so was that the story, or...? Yeah, that that was the, okay. the story. Oh, it good. Is, it is about that's, the world yeah, that's really good. disappearing. Okay, good. I um, yeah, that's yep. Yeah. Do they? Thank do, you. When the when the clones fold through f- through space and time, do they get twice as tall? When they fold, they actually get one point five times shorter uh, because even though time does make things longer, um, clones are are different. I think you're right. Uh, I'm going to uh, write a story about a camel rider uh, who's riding his uh, his camel through the streets of New York, you know, as as New Yorkers do, you know, stuck in the traffic jam um, as uh, the camels ride past each other as fast as they can. Um, but of course, they all obey the, the camel traffic laws. But uh, this rider thought that she was exempt from those rules. Um, and uh, now she's known as the, the formal formerly known as a young camel rider girl uh she uh was riding real real fast down the street uh but then collided into uh, a trash can and then both her and the camel folded over the front uh the front hump of another camel and were just like folded in half uh just like crushed and she was crushed in the in the wreckage of the camel um and uh she's uh and she died Wow, honestly, that's that's I, I I never knew that camels could fold that that hard. But yeah, uh, the but the real question is when the first camel folded over the other camel, did their humps line up? Yeah, well, I mean, they're they were a little misaligned. Oh, okay, okay. So you know, there was like space, but there was only enough space for this woman to get, to also get folded. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I see. I see. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, hey, I I think. Riding your camel down a busy New York street is not the right thing to do. A good idea. Oh. Oh.